This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. And welcome everybody to a very special episode of the Animaniacast. And welcome once again to the Animaniacast. We are the only podcast out there that's dedicated to the animated series, Animaniacs. And today we have a very special episode indeed. I am Joey, and joining me are my co-hosts, Nathan. Lamille. <laughs> Kelly. Hi there. And we are pleased to welcome back to the show the creator of Animaniacs, Tom Ruger is here. Yay. Hey everybody. <laughs> and joining us for the first time on the show is an actor, a puppeteer, and uh, someone who's also responsible for writing some of the most hilarious episodes of Animaniacs. It's Mr. Paul Rugg. Hello! Hello, Paul. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the show. This is quite an honor having you both on here to talk about working on Animaniacs. And uh, my goodness, th just thank you so much for both of you uh, being able to be on here at the same time. You're very welcome. Tom assures me that this is a paying gig. So, uh, um, um, But anyway, I guess that's something he said not to mention. Ooh. But um, I guess <laughs> later on he said, yeah, I, I, just trust me, it'll all work out. So <laughs> that's why I'm here. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to get... Uh, I, I'm, I'm still waiting for my check, actually, Paul, but they oh. told me. <laughs> okay. All it's right. in the mail. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, well, today we are going to be talking uh, mostly uh, – now, Tom wanted to call this just a tribute to Paul Rugg. But, you know, we're, we're trying to call it just something in, in general. We're, we're just saluting both you, Paul, and Tom's efforts on Animaniacs and, and just really the wonderful stuff that came about because of it. And we have a bunch of questions to talk about, and I think we're just going to have, hopefully, a great discussion talking about it as well. Uh but let's go ahead and just start, first of all, talking about, well, I guess before you got into involved with Animaniacs, uh, Paul, what were you doing? Oh, I was a part of the Acme comedy uh, troupe, which is sort of like the Groundlings, uh, only a lower rent version. And we were in like North Hollywood. And um, so I was performing there. Uh, about two years before Animaniacs started, and and how did that translate into going into to writing into Animaniacs? Like, how did you hear about this this Animaniacs gig? Well, we uh, we had to write a bunch of our sketches. So the the show was half improv and half sketches. Um, and Sherry Stoner, who you probably uh, are very well aware uh, of, uh, her husband was our director. So she would come and see the shows. And um, I was in it with John McCann and um, Adam Carolla and Jim, Jim Wickline, a, a bunch of a bunch of others. And um, uh, I guess when they were developing Animaniacs or right when they were ready to give scripts out. Um, she asked me if I would be interested in writing one. And I believe she asked John McCann the same thing. 
And I had never written animation in, in my life. And I, I mean, it, it's just something that was never on my radar. And, and then I remember a delivery being made to, to, uh, uh, to my apartment on Cahuenga. And it was the thickest thing I'd ever seen that you could stuff in a, like a manila envelope. And I opened it up and it was the, it was the Animaniacs show Bible. And, um, and by the way, that was the first term I had ever heard show Bible. And I was like, well, what's what? I don't know if they're sending me a Bible. I don't understand. Is it is there a problem with the material or what is it? So um, and I and I opened it up and it was like, wow, these are a lot of things that people have thought of, um, uh, you know, like catchphrases. And and I was like, wow, that, wow, that's all. That's a lot of thought. So after that. And after I think we signed all kinds of waivers about like not even telling anyone anything that that we're doing. Um, then I think Tom, a couple weeks after that, we met. Uh, I met with you and Sherry, and you guys just gave you gave me a script, and I went with John McCann at the same time, and you gave John a script, and I think we talked it over. Um, and mine was uh, Beethoven. I think yeah, mine was Beethoven. And John's was Dracula, Dracula, Dracula. So that was so that was sort of my my journey uh, to Animaniacs. Tom, what what was it about Paul's writing that helped him get that job? Well, uh, I think, uh, and I may have seen Paul in action at the Acme Comedy Theater afterwards, but I, I think once I did see. Uh, Paul performing, I realized he was this comedy genius, and that. You know, oh my! Well, he really, he he really knows how to make me laugh, and uh, I just recall going to the, the theater and just really just uh, almost dying of laughter. Uh, now, we gave him these scripts, and when we say we gave him the script, we gave him an assignment. The script didn't exist; they were going to make these scripts. So uh, both uh, John McCann and Paul Rugg went off. Uh, to write, I mean, it was completely uh, a blue sky situation. I mean, they, we didn't give them really any samples. We gave them this sort of cumbersome Bible that had uh, maybe a thousand different things in it, and maybe seven of those things wind up in the series. Mm. <laughs> I mean, and, and it was Paul Rugg who really kind of uh, cherry-picked uh, some great stuff that he felt would work, and then he fashioned it into this uh, really h hilarious Beethoven episode. And honestly, when we got that script in, Sherry and I were just, we were in offices next to each other, and we were hearing each other laugh out loud as we were scripts. <laughs> and uh, so the, the minute we got them uh, and read them, we, we called up Paul and we said, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing ever. I mean, it really, it took... It took all that material in the Bible and made it into something that was coherent, and uh, and Paul added uh, some very uh, sort of just slightly edgy stuff about being a <laughs> pianist, and uh, and that's kind of he he kind of established where our little uh, uh, zone was, where it was just you know would be a little bit pushy, be a little. Uh, uh, Maybe just a little sarcastic, a little, uh, not shocking, but funny and pushy. And uh, he really established who the Warners were with that script and probably the next two or three. Yeah. 
I am Ludwig von Beethoven, world famous composer and pianist. You're a what? A pianist. Good night, everybody. That episode right there with Rollover Beethoven also had some interesting things where you were referencing things, I think, like the Fabulous Baker Boys, which was something that very few children would know Michelle Pfeiffer singing on a piano, what that was all about, or, you know, with Dot doing the same thing. So uh, it really goes to that, I, th- I guess, what a lot of the writers did, which was just writing what you thought was funny, right? I mean, from the from, right from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and this sort of uh, is a good example of how it became collaborative. I don't think, so that Fabulous Baker Boys thing, I think that was probably an, an addition that Tom and Sherry added, you know, very, very soon thereafter in, in, um, in the script, um, which is sort of the way, which was the fun thing about the way it all worked, you know, we, you, you'd sort of d- deliver it and then it, it would get, it would get embellished, um, uh, by, by Tom and, and, and Sherry or, or Tom would, would say, Hey, let's have more of that joke or more of, or more of that joke. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, because this was my first job of this sort of thing, um, I never, ever, uh, thought about kids. Um, <laughs> I didn't, you know, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way either. It no. was, it was like, but I, I, I never thought about, well, will a kid get that? Um, because I didn't, uh, I wasn't smart enough to know that that was sort of the drill. Um, and I think that sort of kept its way throughout all of it. Um, I, I don't think we could ever do a show like that where that question wouldn't be asked now. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, that was, that was fun. And I, I remember, um, in going through the Bible, like Tom says, there was so much stuff. There were catchphrases, there were, um, um, just a ton of, of catchphrases, but, but something stuck in, in, in my mind that I think Tom and Sherry said to me as they were giving me that first script, which was that these characters are very similar to the Marx brothers. And for me, that just, that's all I needed to really know. Um, so Yaka was Groucho, Dot was Chico, right? Yeah. And, and Wacko was sort of, um, uh, yeah. And, and for me, that really, 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 really helped. Uh, and you know, they're, they probably maybe don't come across as the Marx Brothers that much in the scripts, but it, it certainly helped me to understand the sort of pecking order of the, of the characters and, and how they would relate to, um, their villains per se, which weren't really villains. They were, they were just sort of like Margaret Dumont. Um, characters. So that's that's what really helped helped me. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I think that was one of the one of the first episodes to be recorded, and you'll you'll notice that uh, Yakko in that one does sound a lot like Groucho. That's yeah. perhaps his most Groucho performance. Yeah. Why you you? We're not you yous. For your inflammation, I'm a me me. That's a he he, and that's a she she. And you're a pianist. Paul, you wrote um, 
Dalai Lama, correct? Yes. How did you come up with the idea for that episode? Because that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, boy, you know what? I don't remember, which is a really lame answer. But I remember, uh, I, I remember, I think maybe Tom and I uh, and maybe Sherry had sort of talked about it would be great for them to go against the smartest person in the world um, or sort of the Dalai Lama. Um, and I think maybe that's all we really got. Tom, do you, do you remember better than me, but, uh, on that one? I, I, I don't, I, okay. I, I, I thought McCann wrote it myself, but, oh, well, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, and then, um, yeah, so it was did the smartest person with Einstein shortly thereafter. I think. Right. Um, so this, this was sort of maybe the calmest person. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like someone who is very enlightened, uh, because th that was sort of the perfect foil for the, for the Warners. And, and I think that's when we sort of started figuring out that, that they were best against that sort of character. Uh, there was a lot to, um, play, play with. Um, and I remember, I remember cause this is the way I sort of write. I, I think I wrote the opening narration uh, the sort of Paul Freeze narration um, for like a week, and then I wrote the rest of it in like a day. But uh, but that was sort of um, and that was the first time we ever used Joe Leahy, by the way, who went on to be Freakazoid's announcer. Yes, that's right. And I think that was the only time Joe was actually on Animaniacs, if I'm yep. not mistaken. Yeah. Yep, that's right. The Himalayas, the largest mountains on the face of the earth, and here high atop Mount Gazuntaik lives the wisest creature in the world. The great Wally Lama, knower of all that is knowable. People from all over the globe seek his advice, for there is no question he does not have an answer to. And, uh, and then we got Richard Libertini uh, to play um, Wally, Lama. Wally, Wally Lama, yeah. I said go away! Are you missing Baywatch? But we have a very, 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 very important question to ask you. I'm sick of questions. Everybody always wants to ask me a question. Oh, Wally Lama, I have a question. Oh, Wally Lama, why this? Why that? No, I'm not answering any more questions today. How come? That's a question, and I'm not answering it, so there. Okay. Well, I just looking through all the shows you've written. It just it's there's so many I want to ask about, but okay. I guess I want to just <laughs> cuz like your your name, Paul Rugg, whenever I would see that like as a kid even, I was just like, "Oh, this is going to be a good segment." Like I know <laughs> like right off the bat this is going to be a funny episode or, you know. But uh so just the Hearts of Twilight was one of my favorite ones as a kid, and I don't know if there's any special stories or anything from that yeah uh, there it well so yeah <laughs> um so tom and i had talked about sort of a a apocalypse now sort of idea or it was that that mr director who's jerry lewis um uh <laughs> has gone rogue and they needed to sort of they needed to go up studio and stop him so i sort of did a first draft and i got I lost my way in it. And, and that sort of happens. You, you, you think, and this happens, you know, 
this happens a lot more than you'd than you'd think, but you think an episode is gonna be one thing, and then it sort of loses steam. Um and then you have to sort of pivot and and find something else. So I remember I wasn't that I wasn't that advanced yet to know oh you have to pivot you know you the the episode wasn't what you thought it was and so I just sort of went with that same that first idea and I remember giving Tom the script and and him saying uh I don't like it <laughs> but, but he had a way of saying I don't like it uh you know sort of like letting you know that he just didn't think it was very good and um and then I, <laughs> And then I, I remember I, I was like, well, because I was sort of new at this, and I'm like, well, that's, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know what else to do with it, so I guess I'll just write something, a new thing. And Tom was like, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of have to make this one better. <laughs> so I remember I went back in, and I was like, okay, and I, I sort of threw everything off, and I, and. And I just sort of said, oh, well, let me just, let me really do Apocalypse Now. Um, and, um, and then it was just a lot of fun. But, you know, it, it's funny. You, you um, like I said, you think something is one thing and, and you're going to get jokes out of, out of one thing. And then, and then you sort of discover that the episode is really um, about when they finally get to Jerry or to Mr. Mr. Director. Um, and so, uh, and I mean, that was just, it was a ton of fun when, when we finally sort of, um, found out what it was and what it was all about. Um, I think that remains one of my favorite episodes because it was, I couldn't believe that we were doing it. <laughs> it was like, wow. So we're going to do the whole Dennis Hopper thing. We're going to do, we're going to do Jerry as a fat Marlon Brando when a bug is going to go in his mouth. I mean, it, it was it was sort of almost too good to be true um, <laughs> <laughs> because it was so obscure. Uh, but I guess that's, that's when we could do that. Um, and then eventually when, when kids or adults saw the documentary of the making of hearts of hearts of darkness um, or, or making of apocalypse now, boy, would they be laughing. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I that that was um, that was a real eye opener that that you could just go with your gut feeling and and do what you thought was was really funny um, and and then Tom was there to say that's what I wanted mm -hmm. and and that was that was fun. When, when Paul Rugg commits to a story uh, like he did with that one, I mean he pulls out all the stops and that. That show, uh, that episode, I have people coming up to me saying that's that's the best one they've ever seen. I mean, it's <laughs> beloved. And the Dennis Hopper thing, it, it was that uh, Jeff Glenn Bennett doing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it was <laughs> it was them. I mean, you talk about obscure. We had them all going, Freudenleben, Freudenleben, <laughs> Freudenleben, and then I think he says, "Stop, Freudenleben." They have said, and it was just, it was just. It was so bizarre and 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 so and so fun, but I think that's where Tom really sort of helped in these instances, which is to sort of pull out of each writer 
you know, no, 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 no. That's, you know, write that thing that you think is so silly. Um, and and that, that's certainly what he did there. He was like, no, no, go back in your room and give, <laughs> <laughs> and give me the episode that we all know we want. Um, and, uh, and not the one that you think uh, you need to write. Write the one that you actually want to, to write. Um, and and that, that was awesome. The wretched clown, the ending scene, takes 6,437. And <laughs> I saw a snail slithering across a railroad track. Ooey Gooey was his name. With little wings. Well, I I think uh, you're, I, I appreciate it, Paul. You're being very generous. But the thing is, Paul. Uh, I mean, you look at his list of cartoons that he wrote for the show. I mean, almost every one of them is uh, you know uh, a classic or, or is uh, among the funniest cartoons uh, ever produced by Warner Brothers. So, I mean, you talk about clown and out. Uh, I, again, the Mr. Director's on hand, but uh, the, these things are people. People are haunted by these cartoons. People, <laughs> people well, really remember them. Well, is now, uh, I'm sorry, Paul. We we've had a quick little online conversation before about this. Is Mr. Clown Mr. Director in disguise, or are they two separate characters? One can assume that Mr. Director just put on some makeup, and I don't know what. Why exactly is he doing this? Uh, you know what? I don't think it's, oh, it's so weird. I don't think it's, I don't think it's Mr. Director, but it is certainly a version of, you know, this is the other thing too. We never really thought about it too much. <laughs> it was like, it was like, oh, so it'll be that clown and it'll be Jerry, Jerry, the, the, the clown who just wants to be the clown. I mean, so, so no, it, it really wasn't Mr. Director, but it, and then again, it was. I don't know. That makes no sense. But it was like, I, I think while, while we were writing all these, um, Tom, wasn't Jerry having sort of like a, a, a rebirth and, 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 and sort of, a, you know, he was sort of becoming more famous because of stuff that he had been doing. And I remember being in Tom's office and us watching some interview with Jerry that I think Tom had videotaped on VHS. And, um, and so, so Jerry was definitely in our, in my psyche anyway. Um, I think I had just written a sketch for the Acme, which I was still doing while I was, while I was at, um, while I was writing Warner brothers. And I, I wrote Jerry Lewis. There, there was a, there was a play called love letters in which, in which various stars would, it was a two person show and, and various stars would read these love letters back and back and forth. So I did love letters with Jerry Lewis and time <laughs> daily. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, Jerry was just on my mind a, a lot. So, so that's why clowning out became, became Jerry, I guess. I don't know. That's a very long way of saying, I, I don't, he was just this guy that sounded like I do remember bringing in once a, a, an interview with uh, Tom Snyder interviewing Jerry Lewis, and I brought it in to Paul because I thought Paul would like it because Paul does uh, an uncanny 
Tom Snyder and, and an uncanny Jerry Lewis. So it was like, I felt like I had spent an hour watching a Paul and I. <laughs> yeah, that Tom Snyder, by the way, making its appearance on Freegazoid was just fantastic uh, later on. <laughs> But um, was Jerry Lewis much of a was he an influence on you growing up? Uh, oh, yeah. To- oh, yeah. Huge. Um, I thought he was the funniest. Um, like if you look at the Aaron boy or the bellhop or even the stuff he did with um, or especially the stuff he did with Dean Martin, uh, even his really lame movies that no one else liked, like uh, um, hardly working. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could, I could watch it. Uh, and, and I really could. And then there was one where he plays a bunch of different characters, and it takes place in San Diego. And uh, then Cinderella. Um, I just thought it was just so different. Um, just he, he was different. The uh, his style of humor was different. And then when I was a kid, I lived in Las Vegas. And I saw him conduct the Las Vegas Symphony Orchestra, um, which was an hour and a half. Uh, I almost thought I wasn't going to be able to breathe because it was just him sticking it up with them. I mean, I'm sure this was a very I'm sure they did this a lot or whatever. uh, But um, but it made me laugh so much because it was. I, I don't know. I just thought it was the funniest thing I had ever seen. So, um, and then when I was in high school, we would, uh, Jerry Lewis had the Labor Day telethon that would take place from the Sahara Space Center. Um, and we would go like at 2 a.m. when Jerry was really grumpy and very, <laughs> and very tired. And uh, it was gold. It was, you know, and that's and that's when you would see him shove an entire glass up his mouth, uh, or he would, or he would poop his keys, or whatever. It was just like it, it was so um, bizarre. So, uh, so yeah, I, I was a big fan. Uh, one of our listeners, Eric Faulkner, uh, asks, uh, did Jerry Lewis ever find out about Mr. Director? Do you know about this at all? I don't know. Tom, do you know if he did? I I, I can only imagine that's, that he it was shown to him. and uh, But I, I've never heard. I never heard anything. Yeah, I don't know. Another one of the episodes that you wrote was Ups and Downs. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm in an elevator, I just want to sing Chopsticks the way Wow. <laughs> so, some, sometimes I do if it's just me and friends. So um, where did you come up with the idea for that? Were you ever stuck in an elevator? Uh, I wasn't, but Tom, who was, right? Somebody was stuck in the ele- elevator. And I don't remember. Oh, it could have been me. But I think somebody in our... <laughs> Oh, Paul, it, yeah. it was you. Okay, so it was me. So, yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I was talking You, you with, kept pushing the button, and you got the guy from the building. Right, right, and, right. Yeah. So, um, I think that, see, it's funny, because it goes on 25 years, and, and uh, I, I wasn't sure if it was me or something, someone else. Uh, we had a very creepy elevator. Um, so I'm sure it stopped many times. We also had a guard who had a monkey, uh, but I don't want to go into that right now. Uh, he was very strange too, but, um, so he did, it, there was, a, you would walk into the lobby, like on the first floor and I, I used to get there early in the morning and, and there, there was our guard who I was using and then he had, he had a monkey 
And I was like, am I just too early? Is there really a monkey here? Anyway, I don't want to get into that. But, uh, so, so I think one of the things, so this goes back to one of the things about Animaniacs. And, and it, it was like, why would you ever do an animated episode that takes place in one, in one room? Um, but Tom didn't care. He was like, well, let's, that sounds really funny to get uh, Yakko and Wacko or, or, or Wacko stuffed with scratch and sniff in an elevator um and and that was just a blast to write see when it came to like writing visuals and and stuff i was like oh and then the 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 ball hits the 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 leaf and it fall i used to just go i can't i don't i don't know what to write but when it came to dialogue and situations and and stuff that's where i really had a, a a great time so uh that was really fun to to write and and then to just show sort of the um the speaker when goit Furman <laughs> is talking um i don't know i love that i thought that was fun let's see now um <clears throat> hello i'm in an elevator not going anywhere is is someone there hello anyone warner brothers maintenance department hold on a sec hit it with the hammer big ed no, the hammer! That's a wrench! That long thingy's a hammer! <clears throat> Sorry about that. This is Goyt Furman. What can I do you for? In answer to question, uh, I guess, from what Tom says, I was stuck in the elevator. So that is why we wrote that. <laughs> now, the, the, by the way, the name Goyt Furman right there, you have, yeah. if you have a tendency to put these nonsense names into, I think, a lot of your writing. Yes. Uh, so, yes. Any, it, any particular is that just your signature thing? I don't know exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. It was just, um, I mean, try not to smile a little bit by saying the word goit. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you can do it. I mean, let's just take a moment also, uh, if we can, and go back to one of Paul's earliest scripts, uh, where it's the first script where uh, Dr. Scratch and Sniff is psychoanalyzing the Warners. And I think this was the first, uh, in the first uh, half hour mm -hmm. ever, ever aired. And this really, uh, again, this is all Paul Rudd. And uh, it really is uh, very much a defining uh, episode of who the Warners are. And uh, again, very funny, very personal. Each character gets great beats and uh, also a little edgy. You know, he scratches and shows them ink blots and, you know, yeah, goes saying, and girls, reminds me of girls. You know. Why are you so obsessed with girls? Well, you keep showing me the dirty pictures. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I suspect uh, if we were to write, if Paul were to write it today, you know, maybe we don't get, get it on the air. But, uh, <laughs> but back then, uh, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't like the kid police for every cartoon show. We, we were making cartoons for anybody that wanted to watch. Right. Did yeah, you, that's true. Did yeah. you get much of a, a pushback from censors? I mean, you did write one episode that we just talked about recently, um, Valuable Lesson, where you have the Wallace Shawn kind of censor talking on, on one end and... And uh, a Margaret Thatcher-ish kind of woman talking as well is. Uh, did you experience much pushback from the censors when it came to your writing? Uh, not really. And I think there was one particular censor who wanted us to hear her quite a bit, and I I don't quite remember her. And um, 
And I think valuable lesson was, Tom, if I'm not mistaken, it was sort of a reaction to that to say, yeah. hey, uh, you know, we're not, don't worry about it. I mean, I mean first of all, um, personally, I would never write anything that even bordered on something that was, you know, scandalous. We would, we would always be silly. Um, so she, she sort of didn't trust that we would, that we would never do anything wrong. And, and, um, and frankly, I think she had a, a, a dirtier mind than we did. Um, (laughs) yeah, she was so, Yes. Yeah. Innuendos. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, you know, um, I, I, I think, and to be honest with you, the valuable lesson is not one of my favorites because it, it was written to sort of make a point to her. So, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but, but yeah, I mean, so, but I remember that sort of came and it went and, um, and we never had that issue again. Mm. I, don't, I don't think. Is that the one where we're trying to win a Humanitas award? I don't, I don't think no, so. It's, okay. All right. It's like the Snuggles or whatever. The Smurfs are basically in it. And, and yeah, Attila and, the Hun is chasing them the whole time. And, yeah. And then the censor comes in, right? Or some something. And, uh, or okay. something like, yeah. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood Chuck, did you create that character? I know, like, he appears in a lot of your episodes. Is that right? Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, how, so, so. Bernard, um, right? But yeah, I think we were. Baynards. We yeah, Baynards. We were sort of in the middle of Animaniacs and and or, or, of writing Yakawaka Dot, and uh, and I was feeling a little fatigued. <laughs> you know, I think I no 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 in, in the best way. Like, gosh, I you know I, I love writing for them, but it would be great to just sort of have a week of of doing something different. And um, and I think Tom, you felt that too. And you know, we all wanted to just. I remember once, in fact. It was around this time we had maybe 20 episodes under, under our belt, and Tom came in one day and goes, only 40 more! <laughs> <laughs> and we all laughed and then ran into our rooms. But um, <laughs> so, so Ho- Hollywood Chuck came because I heard Jeff Bennett do his, um, oh, Tom, who's the guy? Um, who wrote in Cold Blood? What's his name? Oh, uh, Right. Two- so I, I heard I heard him do Truman Capote once, and it just made me laugh. And I, boy, if I could come up with a little character uh, for that, it would be <laughs> it would be great. So, so for me personally, I loved Hollywood Chuck. I loved everything about it. Uh, but from what I understand, I'm the only one. <laughs> <laughs> like it wasn't that well received. Like who's that stupid chipmunk? Why is he wasting our time? What's that about? I don't like it. Um, but for me, I I, I really liked uh, uh, Charlton Wood, Woodchuck. But um, um, but yeah. So there you go. Does that answer your question? I don't even. Yeah, I think so. I just wanted to know, like, because yeah, he's not in the opening theme song or anything. He just kind yeah. of appears, and so yeah, yeah. I was just wondering. That, that's a good example of of uh, the way a character coming to life is is. Uh, Paul hearing Jeff Bennett do that voice and 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 that's that's kind of a unique way of saying uh, of coming up with a new character. I want to yeah based around that voice. Yeah, yeah, and it was just it was just so uh, and 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 the the way Jeff did it, you just wanted to see that character. Bad things happen to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, looks like Franklin's learned a valuable lesson. 
Why, looky here. It's Mr. Woodpecker. Maybe he'll be my friend, thought Franklin. But Mr. Woodpecker was a mite angry because Franklin had ruined his tree. Poor Franklin. Won't anyone be my friend, he thought. And just then, Mr. Boa Constrictor came a-wiggling by. Maybe he'll be my friend. Could we stop a minute? Now, Franklin knew he wouldn't get eaten because boas don't like the taste of woodchucks. <sighs> but still they try. I don't know. Yeah. And he's a vindictive guy, too. He's, yeah. He, yeah. He keeps lists of people. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. And then I, I was always a big fan of Rex Allen and those old Disney um, <laughs> nature shows like Charlie the Lonesome Cougar and... Um, and I think I was always walking around the office doing Rex, Rex Allen. So, so it was just sort of a way to merge, you know, Charlton Woodchuck with this sort of Disney. Anyway, everybody look up Charlie, the lonesome cougar, and you'll see what I was going for. And then you will change your mind dramatically. <laughs> well, what well, that, is that? Cougar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right from the beginning, Charlie had made an acquaintance with all the neighborhood critters. But lately, a young raccoon seemed small for a playmate. And so did a fox cub. The Pine Martin never did see Charlie as a real close companion. So being a friendly, outgoing sort of cougar, Charlie decided to explore the whole wide forest world. See if he couldn't find himself a bigger and better playmate. Wow, what in creation were these? One sure was bigger, all right, but it just didn't have that fun-loving look. For Charlie, that made the other one look a whole lot better. One of the things I think about, especially when I think of Charlton, and I think of uh, little seeds that you planted in your writing, like of uh, My Father the Tuna, <laughs> of, of that being picked up then later with uh, the Warner's 65th, uh, anniversary anniversary special with with charlton uh or bain arts or whatever you want to call him right. uh saying my father the tuna will not be seen today <laughs> uh and it's nice to see that he actually did make it uh somehow uh, yes but <laughs> but it, it seems like i don't know it seems like there's a lot of and nathan is better at picking up a lot of these little uh storylines or little plot points like continuities yeah that. continuity uh that that happens a lot with with your writing is that was that a how did i mean did you make specific notes to bring that things like that up later or how does, how does that no all i don't i don't think so i think it i don't think so it was just it was just convenient or um and i think it might have been tom that su suggested let's have charlton uh Dude, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, but I don't think there was any, like, grand design on my part. It just was <laughs> sort of like remembering, oh, yeah, we could do that. Mm -hmm. Well, once, once he created Charlton, we did uh, stick him in. Uh, like, I know he directed Slappy Squirrel in, in a later cartoon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Charlton lives on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom, uh, let's see. What was, I mean, Paul did write a lot of the things for the Warners. I mean, he wrote a lot of Warners episodes. What was it about 
his writing that really made you say, you know, he should write a lot of the Animaniacs or the Warners episodes, I should say? Well, I think you have to, if you look at all the cartoons being made today and back then, I mean, very few cartoons really make you laugh out loud. And, uh, here we had the stars of the show, uh, Yakko, Wacko and Dot appearing in uh, the first handful of cartoons by Paul, people are literally laughing out loud at these cartoons. So it was, I, I was hard pressed to, 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 uh, let Paul get away uh, from the Warners because, I mean, he may have wanted to go write uh, Pinky in the Brain or, you know, uh, Good Feathers or whatever, but really he was the backbone of the Warners. He, he, he knew how to make each one of them sort of uh, specific and, and, and uh, you know, have their own concerns. I mean, each one of them in a, in a Paul Rugg uh, Warner Brothers cartoon, uh, depending on which characters featured. I mean, these guys really come to life. That uh, potty emergency, for instance. I mean, <laughs> it, it, you, Wacko was never so real and alive than in that. And and everybody in the audience, I mean, that's one that people just vividly recall. And everyone's been in that situation. And uh, so Paul has that quality of coming up with great relatable ideas, but then he inherently is funny and he imbues that funny into all those characters. So, I mean, Sherry's the same way with, I think with, uh, with Slappy where she really uh, uh, makes that comedy take off. I think uh, Peter Hastings is particularly powerful in the comedy with, with Pinky and the Brain. And he's written some, they've all written great uh, Warner cartoons as well, but Paul, Paul really, uh, define those characters and uh i mean i i really can't think of a, a cartoon that he wrote with them that's that isn't genuinely funny mm-hmm. 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 um kelly let's go back to you do you have any questions from the sheet or just in general yeah i'll ask uh, a question from our fan oh, absolutely fan. uh cameron brewer wants to know does lucky the dog still bite yes yes <laughs> Uh, Lucky the dog bites, uh, uh, and uh, he was attacked by a um, by a uh, a dog on the beach, and but luckily he survived and he's fine, and it's made him even grumpier. So there you go. <laughs> but he really he really was uh, injured, correct? Yeah, yeah. We were uh, my wife and I were walking on the beach. Uh, we had him leashed, and um, this 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 husky came by with his owner and the owner was Australian and it was just, it was weird. Cause he goes, Oh, my dog loves other dogs. And we're like, oh, great. <laughs> and then the moment he said that all of a sudden we look and his dog is literally got my dog in his mouth. And we're, we're like, Oh, that's unusual. And then he just sort of shook him. And my dog made a noise that I'd never heard. Uh, and I'm like, I don't think that's good for him. <laughs> so, I think I screamed or something, and then he dropped Lucky, but he, he broke a bunch of ribs and anything. But anyway, um, so, yeah. But luckily, luckily, Lucky's fine. For, he's fine again. For those of you who who don't know, 
chances are you've probably already seen the video because it's everywhere. Uh, Paul became the, probably the viral sensation of 2017, was it, that came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where uh, Paul was telling about, you know, petting your dog, uh, releasing uh, oxytocin and how it, it relaxes you. And, of course, Lucky the dog is biting him uh, constantly. How do I relax? Well... Like many other Americans, uh, I come home and I, I pet my dog. You see, petting your dog is one of the most relaxing things you can possibly do. It releases a hormone called oxytocin, which reduces stress. And it's, it's just a hilarious, hilarious video. I'm, I'm proud to say I was one of the first people watching it because I could tell on Facebook I was like one of the first uh, 100 yeah. views. So... For once, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I was now it has like ten billion views, I think, on uh, yeah, on it's got a ton. Have now, Paul. The what? Uh, well, I think just on. It's funny. We just we just looked the other day on on one platform, which is I think the the Daily Mail. It's a hundred and seventeen million. <laughs> um, and I know it's cra- crazy. Uh, and what's weird about that is. Um, Boy, if you, you know, it, it sort of shows me that you never know because, you know, I used to just put stuff up and I remember I thought about this. Uh, my friend Tom Wilson uh, was over once when we were doing another video and he goes, you know, it'd be funny to have your dog bite you. And I go, yeah, okay. And then, um, and then I, and then I just sort of, uh, I thought about that for like two, two months. And then one day I was like, yeah, I'm going to go do that thing. So I took him upstairs. It took a minute. And then yeah. I put it up and then I was like, well, that's, that's that. And I went on to other, other things. And then the next thing I know, my, my phone starts ringing at 4 a.m. from all these different people, uh, from Reuters and they want to, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, you never know. You, it just goes to show that you never know. Now, Tom Wilson, by the way, is of course, uh, Biff from back to the future. Yes. And, yes. And, and, he was one of your featured players in a number of of online videos that you had posted on yes. Facebook about yes. about your voiceover pamphlet. Yes, yes. The 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 attention to detail of these videos is far surpasses ninety nine percent of the videos I've seen online, <laughs> and I felt like such a an exclusive audience because it's like more people need to know about these things, and they're just it's just so funny. You have this bit where you're talking to the the automatic camera and it keeps oh, yes. turning away from you each time i yeah. was ro- i was yeah. rolling on the floor laughing. It was so funny, Paul. It was just uh, yeah, yeah yeah well, you know that's uh it's sort of, I mean, you know, Tom, Tom and, I, and I have sort of talked about this. Um, there's something to the concept of just of just going out and shooting something and and not and, you know, nothing about, well, geez, how will I make money or how will you just I mean, we're all here to sort of do stuff. So um, that was just one of those things where I, I, I called uh my my buddy Matthew Gavin, I said you're going to be Mandrake Honeywell, and we're going to do this thing. And my daughter shot it, and um, and you shoot them, and you take two hours, and then you edit them, and then you forget about them. And then um, when we did the the uh, Nathan Detroit sort of parody, um, my friend Julian Steve Bernstein, they they you know I'm like I need some music, I need this done, and um, you know 
we need to still keep playing and you, you don't always get paid for your efforts, but I think you just, it's just fun to, to play. So that's my version of playing. Well, it's, it's fantastic stuff. It really is. I'm, I'm, I'm looking okay. forward to getting my voiceover pamphlet in the mail. One of these okay, days. Yes. Well, it's coming. Okay. Where, yeah. Have you published them? No. Well, there's a new <laughs> video coming out soon. Oh, uh, that oh, that good. all will be all will be revealed. Uh, yes, it's coming out soon. Oh, good, good. <laughs> hey, Paul, I have a question. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I'm just noticing that there there are quite a few songs that you helped write, like uh, the Planet songs, and you also helped uh, write the Magellan, the Ballad of Magellan. Um, yes. Can you can you go over the uh, writing for the songs process? Uh, uh, even the Acme song for uh, Cody Einstein, even. Yeah, um, you know it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because you would hear sort of Randy Rogel in the in the next room with his piano, you know, doing chord changes and and big deals, and it was like, well, I I can't do that. Um, <laughs> that's that seems like a lot of work. Um, but uh, you know, just certain. Certain episodes called for little, little tiny songs. Um, uh, the Acme song, um, it, was, it was just a way, we, we needed a way to really make it clear that E equals MC squared backwards in a weird way was Acme. And the best way to do that was to do it with a song. Um, and then the other ones were just sort of silly little you know, I, I think my songs topped out at 30 seconds. You know, it was like, uh, other than that, they were just too complicated. So, um, you know, I had the Acme song or the Planet song. Um, and then I think the most complicated song I ever wrote was the Cheese Roll Call, um, mm. uh, which took me <laughs> a, a, a long time um, because those were a lot of rhymes. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I, uh, among your most brilliant songs, I mean, I know it's parody, but was your Gilbert and Sullivan. Sullivan. Oh, yeah. See, so, I mean, uh, so I'm a big Gilbert and Sullivan fan. So uh, I, I was always trying to stick stuff in there. And I think I think for that particular episode, um, Tom, you had said, like, well, fine, just write a Gilbert and Sullivan thing. And I was like, really? No. And you're like, yeah, go ahead. Um, which I, I think, you know, goes with the whole Warner Brothers, Carl Stalling sort of ethos of what, of what we, we, we were doing. But, um, I remember just pinching myself writing those various, uh, writing new lyrics to that stuff. Um, that was so fun. And, and, uh, I thought brilliantly he, he tied it all together by, making it not only about pirates and and Gilbert and Sullivan, but also about the the nature of a cartoon character. Right, yeah. When in a jam, I just yell, stop, and villains in their tracks are froze. Then I sneak up and utter start and take my hands and honk their nose. I am quite proud to be in such a hierarchical progeny. From Daffy Duck and Tweety Bird to Babs and Buster Bahani. To suit my mood, I can call forth a lot of different sceneries Like outer space and desert scapes and Himalayan eateries From this bag here, why I can pull most anything imaginable Like office desks and lava lights and bird who is a cannibal To the Agni song, uh, 
cookies for Einstein for Paul. Uh, and again, it was uh, call. Paul came to me and said, I have achieved a cartoon epiphany. <laughs> and he had and he had been truly struggling with the ending of the cookies for Einstein cartoon. He just and he, I believe, uh, and his wife uh, the night before had looked at uh, the word Acme and the word uh, and E equals MC squared, and they somehow yep. in their heads saw the relationship of those two uh, phrases, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think most of the, it's funny, with most of the Yakka Waka Da cartoons, you, you reach this point in every episode where you needed to turn, you, you needed it to all of a sudden have your big moment. Um, and Cookies for Einstein, it didn't have that moment yet or, or how it was going to work. And I remember I was struggling with it and, and I wrote down Acme or something. And my wife, I, my wife just sort of looked at it and, and said, boy, you know, that looks like an E or I forget what it, what it was. And then we just flopped it around. And it was one of those exciting moments. It's like, I know what to do. Um, <laughs> I, you know, and, and I know what to do now. Hey, Einstein. Whenever we're feeling blue, here's what we always do. When your face is long, sing the Acme song, you'll feel so fresh and new. There's the A, that's first, there's a C, that's next, there's an M, you're almost done. There's the E, it's last, now spell it out, A-C-M-E, that's fine. Now backwards! There's the E, that's last, there's the M, it's next, there's C, you're almost done. There's the A, it's first, what's first is last, E-M-C-A, we're done. Pretty good, Waggle, but your A always looks like a two. Relativity E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. You kids is geniuses. E equals MC squared. E equals MC squared. E equals MC squared. And so many times, um, the Warner's cartoons, Yakka Waka Dot, there was that that epiphanous moment. Like there was one I wrote. Um, I think it was the one where we did the parody of Camelot. I oh, forget yeah. what it was. Sir Yaxalot, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah, Sir, Sir Yaxalot. And it was that same same thing. It was like, how do the Warners fix this? Or what's this? What's the big moment? Um, and it was, it was, I think, the word slay him. Um, and then it occurred to me, oh, that's what a comedian does. So we would put it in a, you know, we would do a, a stand-up routine. Um, and it was those little moments that, that you'd always sort of like do a little victory lap. Uh, <laughs> we had this office and there was this, there was this interior sort of hallway. And when you would come up with these moments, I, I just remember going for walks and smiling, <laughs> which was very uncharacteristic to me because normally I was like, <laughs> uh, but the, the moment you come up with an idea, it was great. Um, you know, one of our, um, one of our listeners right here just asks, uh, Hi, Tom and Paul. I just want to say uh, that you two are great comedic writers for Animaniacs and Freakazoid, and I want to thank you for being part of our childhoods. And she just wanted to talk a little bit about that collaboration uh, process between uh, 
you two and just other writers of the show. I mean, uh, I think you talked about it a little bit. Uh, you know, but is there any kind of things? Was there a giant writer's room for this kind of stuff? Or no, guys... no, no, there wasn't. <laughs> and and the reason I said the, the the reason I sort of jump all all over that is because um, you know, the writers' room has become a big a big deal now where if, if, if you sort of all join together in a room, you will be much more funnier than any one individual in their room could, could possibly be. And, um, and it's, I mean, I, I've been part of a writer's room and it's, it's horrible because you sort of <laughs> sit, you know, you sort of sit there and you sort of follow what's happening and you just feel compelled every now and then to, to go. Um, it, it reminds me of the old Monty Python uh, sketch where everyone's sitting in the boardroom and the one guy says splunge or splunge. And he goes, and, and, and that's sort of how a writer's room is. Um, there's, there's no thought to anything. It's just what's funny at that particular moment. Um, so the way we wrote and, and, and a and this is really, you know, this, this all comes back to Tom is, um, we would all sit around and Tom would say, what are you doing? And, you know, I, I might say, no, you know, I, I might say, well, I, I'd like to do, uh, the Warner's go, go against Einstein. And like, good. You do that one. And, 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 you know, sort of going down the line and then saying, all right, you know, everybody, you come back in a week with your completed scripts and, and then we'll talk then. Um, and, you know, nine times out of 10, it, it worked. I'm not saying there weren't always a lot of notes or, you know, maybe you should try this or try that. So there was a lot of that where Tom would, um, Tom could mark up a script like nobody's biz business with his uh, pen. Um, but it always made sense. I mean, it was, it was like that line you just did here. He would draw a thing and, and you know, sort of uh, – and it took a while to sort of figure out what all that was. But it always made total sense. Um, so, so the collaboration was Tom saying, go write that thing, bring it back then I'll look at it and, and I'll let you know how I think it could be better or I think where you might have missed it. Um, and that was always great. I was never, uh, it was funny, I had, a, I had a bet with Kathy Page, who was Tom's assistant at the time. I, every time I would deliver a script, I always did it with such trepidation. And I would, I would give her a $10 bill and I would say, chances are he's not going to like this one. And she would always take the $10 bill and we'd, we'd have this bet. Um, because you never knew, you know, I mean, uh, but, uh, so the, the, I, the idea that we sort of all were in a room sort of riffing and, and then, and then a monkey falls on his head. Uh, we never, we never, right, Tom, we never did that ever, ever. And quite honestly, I, I can't imagine how a, a really coherent story is going to come out of that. If it, if you're just making a, 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 a a series of physical gags where people are getting knocked out. I, I suppose you could do it, but these were animaniacs. Was they were stories? They, they had beginning, middles, and ends. And and uh, the writers' room can I, I suspect. Uh, I don't know how they would achieve that. Really. Yeah, and and you sort of have to be a certain breed of person. Um, yeah, yeah. For me, very loud, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to be loud, and you have to sort of enjoy that that collaboration what's great is to sort of talk with somebody and then eventually take great delight in when they leave the room 
and then you can <laughs> shut the door, right? And you can go up here. I'm, I'm through with that now. Now I can now I can do my own thing. Um, uh, but some people thri- thrive on it. Um, I've never I've never thrived on sitting with another person writing because I feel I feel like this the pauses you need to fill the the you know with with talk so I've 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 always tried to avoid it I, I've never been a big fan of it and and quite honestly uh we had this uh great staff the great gang of really funny brilliant writers there's Paul and, and Sherry and and Peter and John and Deanna and uh Nick Hollander and we had others coming and going I'm sure I've forgotten someone, so forgive me. Uh, and, you know, one, one or more of them might be stuck on, on some little spot in the story, and whether they would uh, touch base with Paul or Peter or, or Sherry, or, I mean, there's a lot of kind of sharing of thoughts and ideas. Uh, not that we would get into a room and, and beat up a, a story altogether, but, you know, if Paul wanted to wing something uh, past somebody, he'd go find one of the other writers. Oh yeah, we did that a ton. I mean, we would we would sort of wander into each other's offices and and say, I you know, I've I have two options for this for this thing. I'm I'm thinking of uh, I'm I'm kind of at a I I don't know what to do with this part. And you would sort of talk it talk it out. And um, so we did a ton of that. We just never did it formally. Right. Uh, like nine to five in a room, but there was a ton of of exchanging ideas at lunch, um, walking around the the mall, playing foosball at, at <laughs> the mall. I mean, you know, w- there was a ton of it. Um, as far as quality time in our offices, sitting and writing, I would say out of an eight hour day, maybe maybe we were physically sitting in there writing three hours of that eight hours because you, you know, you, you need to wait and walk around and get up and, and do stuff and talk. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think Sherry Stoner mentioned that in a, in the Animaniacs DVD that you came in and helped her out with the end of the three Muska Warners with the, uh, the honey honeymooners ending, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Right. Steal a McRae. All right. Uh, Kelly, let's, let's go to you. Okay, Paul. Yes. Did you ever meet Steven Spielberg? And if so, can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah, we met him a bunch of times. Um, he came to the office like four or five times, and then um, I believe we went to his office a couple times, three three or four times. I think Tom, when we were pitching yep. out ideas for the movie. Um, we we went and met with him, met him at the party. He was just he was always very um he he was he's a big fan of what what we were doing. Um so that was always that was always cool. Although it was always weird when Steven would show up at the office because everyone was all of a sudden a little bit different than they had <laughs> normally been. Uh everything was like a very like like you never looked at the clock more on a day when you knew Stephen was coming. It was like he had to be there at nine, and you didn't want to quite go anywhere in case you missed him. So you'd be like, "Well, I wonder where he is. I believe he should be coming soon." Um, so yeah, I mean, um, very very fun. And uh, I remember the first the first com- communication I ever had with Stephen uh, was I wrote a short called 
uh, Broccoli, which was a parody of Green Eggs and Ham. And it was with, um, it was with Yakko uh, and President Bush at the time, the first one, the elder mm. Bush. Uh, he didn't like broccoli. Mm-hmm. So I thought, gosh, it'd be funny to write Yakko as sort of uh, the cat in the hat or, or I forget what it was. Who, uh, you know, sort of pushing broccoli done in that sort of rhyme like green eggs and, and ham. And we, I remember Tom, it was a short script. I was like four pages or something. It wasn't very long. Um, do you remember this, Tom? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And so we, we, I, uh, Tom sent that off. And uh, I remember I had been there for like two months or something. And the next thing you know, Tom comes into the, my doorway and he goes, I have something very special for you. <laughs> and I was like, what? What is it? And he was like, we just received this. And it was a memo from Stephen um, and like written to me. <laughs> and it was like, what? And it was like, uh, Paul, this is really clever and really fun. Thank you so much. And keep up the great work. And um, so, yeah, that was that was a, a and then we eventually didn't do it because that was around election time and it looks like Clinton was going to win. So we we actually didn't ever do that that piece. But um, but yeah, uh, Stephen was did we, um, uh, uh, Adam Anycast. Did we ever do that? The broccoli cartoon? No, I swear. no, no. There was a Dr. Seuss. Parody. There was a kid in the lid one, but yeah. But, yeah. It, but it was not with uh, President Bush. No. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. This was brutal. Yeah, so it never got got made, but I still have the memo. So there you go. <laughs> you know what, Paul? I think we did it on Hysteria. Oh, really? Yeah, I think we. Uh, uh, I'll check it out. But, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll check on that. Yeah. Right. It sounds it sounds very familiar because we had someone doing Bush's voice and yeah. Anyway. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, never throw out a good idea. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, relaxing dinner with my first lady, Barbara. Oh, George. I am Love Kennington, Love Kennington is me! Would you like some broccoli? I do not like this broccoli. I do not like it, let me be. Would you like it with some corn eaten from a flugelhorn? I would not like it with some corn eaten from a flugelhorn. I do not like this broccoli, now go away and let me be. Well, uh, of course, you know, later on, Paul, you and Tom were working on uh, a fantastic show together, Freakazoid, uh, which, my goodness, that's a whole other can of worms. And uh, <laughs> we'd love to have you guys on uh, when it comes to the, the topic of Freakazoid and how that all came came about. Um, but, Nathan, I think we have you have a question that deals with yeah. Freakazoid, right? It's 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 roughly Freakazoid because it's uh it's about the Freakacon that happened yes. uh, <laughs> a little while back. Um, and I, I guess I just wanted to ask how how you guys came up with the idea to even do it, and will you guys do another one in any time soon? I guess. Um. Well, the idea, yeah. Tom and I, it's so funny because, like, you know, we're always <laughs> we're always seeing, you know, everyone going off. Yeah, I'm going. You know what. I'm going off on Friday. I'm going to uh, Vancouver to the um, Wonderpalooza, uh, you know, to talk about um, my little kitten uh, or whatever that we made 20 years ago. And we're like, Tom and I are like, really? Uh, uh, well, okay. Um, anyway, no one ever asked us to do anything with Freakazoid. So, so Tom and I decided 
let's do something really silly on our own with Freakazoid. And we had all these grand ideas that we would rent <laughs> out a ballroom and, and have people <laughs> come. And, and, uh, and then it occurred to us we didn't have any money for that. So, um, and then we'd, we'd actually have to serve food. So, so we <laughs> sort of settled on this, um, you know, in, interactive, silly uh, thing, which uh, I'm really glad we did because it was – it sort of gets back to that idea where I was talking of just go do some, something. And, and Tom and I had this idea, and l- luckily we had um, uh, Troy Benjamin uh, sort of shepherd it for us. But, but the idea was to do this convention from Tom's garage <laughs> and um, to do it live and to stream it and to talk about it and to just have a ton of fun and and uh and i know tom and i sort of stressed over it but ultimately when i think we we were doing it it was so much fun uh so anyway it was just our our way of of sort of parodying um cons and and to just you know just to have a good just to have a good time with it um and so i think we'll do another don't you think tom I think we we will do it, and it'll be. I think it. I think we had great experience. Uh, we learned a lot, and I'll bet we'll do something maybe a little different, but uh, maybe better. Who knows? Yeah. Fun. Well, the the replay can be seen at Facebook.com/slash Freakacon, and I know it's also on YouTube as well. It's a yes. It's an hour long special, really, and it really does run a lot like. An episode of Freakazoid. I mean, you, you have you have Joe Leahy doing the uh, the announcer and, uh, yes. and and introducing different segments. You have a lot of uh, fantastic weird montages that go on throughout the uh, ah. a lot of bear attacks and things like that. I believe. <laughs> yes. Um, so yes, Paul in it. Uh, Mitch Shower shows up. We have uh, Julian Steve Bernstein. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, and, and we, uh, a phone call. We have a, and, a great audience member. Too. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we have an audience audience member. Um, yeah, so it's special call-in guest, right? Like, yep. Oh well. Oh no! Don't tell that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and you did have a little bit of trouble with your gardener, but you know, I think everything worked out just fine, other than that hiccup. But I gotta get rid. Of them. Gotta get rid of them. Okay. Well, this has been a fantastic treat. Again, thank you so much, uh, Paul and Tom, for, for being on the show today. Uh, it's really been an honor, and uh, we hope to have you on again someday to talk about, well, more about Animaniacs and especially Freakazoid as well. Sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, I guess let's go ahead and wrap it up, and we'll get to some, some contact information. Uh, Kelly, where can people get in contact with you online? You can email me at kelly at bigshinyrobot.com or on Twitter at yodaprincess, Y-O-D-A-P-R-N-C-S-S. Nathan, what about you? I'm on Twitter, uh, DjangoFT, that's me. And let's see, Tom, where can people get in contact with you online? (laughs) I have Facebook, uh, I have uh, my blog, right, Uh, Cartoonatics, and... uh, Cartoonatics.blogspot.com. Believe. Look at that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Paul Rudd, let's go to him. Oh, I'm on all your medias, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, very, very different medias, social medias. Um, uh, yeah, I'm at, uh, at Twitter at Paul, at PK. Oh boy, I don't even know. 
Um, but at, I'm there. It's at PK Rug, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. That's it. And then um, I put up some silly videos on YouTube from time to time. At uh, 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 my channel is Freundle- Paul Rugs Freundleben. So you can just type type that in. Right. Uh, and and there will be new things up there this summer, as all of my actor friends are waiting for real jobs. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, guys, for being on the show. And uh, as for the Animaniacast, you can get in contact with us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, you can join our Discord channel, which is discord.animaniacast.com. And uh, if you like this show, hey, listen to our other ones in our archive over at animaniacast.com. And uh, leave us a positive iTunes review if you are so inclined. Uh, five stars makes us very happy and we all say foreign laven and every time we see one (laughs) that's good so for kelly nathan tom and paul this is joey saying good night everybody 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 This podcast is not endorsed by Warner Brothers or Amblin Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Animaniacs, the Warner Brothers logo, all names, pictures, and sounds of the Animaniacs characters or any other Animaniacs-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Brothers, Amblin Entertainment, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Animaniacast unless otherwise indicated. Take the word animal, transpose the letters N and M, and you get aminal. That, in a nutshell, is comedy.